Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's Monday evening, so that means we are talking NFL with a roundtable because it's still the offseason. Although some training camps, I believe, are taking place at some point this week. I am joined, as I am every Monday night, by 49ers Hubs, Evan Swords. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am well. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad, Evan. Um, I'm also joined by Stephanie Smalls, fantasy extraordinaire. What what do we call you? The, the, the person that Matthew Barry shouted out this week. Just the rising star where we... We know, Evan, you and I, we both know that uh, she's going to be too big for this podcast within, like, what, three weeks? Oh, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll just drag her back whether she likes it or not. <laughs> no, that will never happen. I will never be too big for this podcast. Thanks for having me on again. Last week, I slept, I quite literally slept through the episode. Uh, uninterrupted 18 hours of sleep is something very surprising. So I'm glad that I was able to come back. But are We're, you feeling uh, better? I'm definitely feeling better, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. Happy to hear <laughs> Um, Also here, old friend. He has been on this podcast before. Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. Ross, good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, brother. Doing very well. Glad to be here with y'all. Such a pleasure to be able to join all three of you. This is really great. I'm really looking forward to this. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I, I, love, I love your work, man. Even if it is... New Orleans Saints related. I still respect it. That's how, that's how adult I am. And that's how mature I am. I am able to look past the Saints aspect of your work and, uh, you know, appreciate it. So, um, I, I very much appreciate it. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking. It's funny because like, as we're talking about this, so like I'm organizing my new office in the move. I'm looking at my signed Keith Brooking Falcons helmet, my Atlanta Falcons, 1970 fact book that my dad, uh, got me, like from that time period in Atlanta, and then the 1998 <laughs> NFC Champions banner right next to it. So I love it. <laughs> it's all ready to go. Um, but we will be talking about the NFC South. That is the larger reason Ross is joining us, just as Eric did last week to talk about the NFC North. Our highlight will be the NFC South this week. But to get started, there are some headlines, guys, that I want to I want to start, and this is something that I'm very happy to see because. The odd number is already driving me nuts. I don't like eight and nine. I don't like the the situation that we're going to find ourselves in with this odd number of games this season. And by no surprise, I don't think the NFL is focused on expanding already to eighteen games. Ross, what do you what do you make of the NFL uh, already mo- moving towards eighteen games? Well, it's an interesting thing because uh, one of the clauses in the CBA that recently passed was that they couldn't make a very quick move to an 18-game season after a 17-game season. So they would have to push through some of the things around the CBA, or at least as soon as that provision is lifted, uh, they feel pretty good about moving forward there that they would be able to. Uh, I actually chase like the even number, which probably drives you nuts, uh, or, or the uneven number, rather. I like the odd number because I like teams not having a, an even season, either having a winning season or having a losing season. And just helping to create some potential division there uh, between the way that we look at some of these teams. So that's one of the things that I actually kind of like about it. But I do have to say that if they're going to go to an 18 game season, then an additional bye week is going to become a must very quickly. I would imagine. 
Evan, what do you think? I mean, definitely going to need a new another bye week. I, I already think we <laughs> we need that at 17 games. But you know, agree. I, I understand the slow rollout because the, the NFL is full of money hungry uh, psychopaths that don't care about people's health. Um, but it, it was always going to be 18 games. Like it was, that was, that was always going to be the plan. So it's just, like you said, obviously there's some provisions in the uh, CBA to prevent that happening right away, but that's obviously the goal. It's just, you know, slowly taking, taking what they can get as it comes. Um, right. I'm, I would have, I, I don't think it was tangible, but I would have much rather have gone from 16 to 18 and 16, 17, 18. It's just going to look so weird in the record books. <laughs> yeah and i think back to to college football when it was 11 for a long time and that's something that i don't even remember anymore i'm just so conditioned to 12 games but it was 11 uh for the majority of the time i grew up and i didn't bat an eye but 12 just it just seems right now um stephanie what do you what do you make about it do you do you agree more with evan with ross and if it is ross how how could you ever agree with a prime number being the right solution to the number of games for an nfl season I just think the NFL needs to chill out. Like, let's just calm down for a second, figure out what is like, we need to get our bearings after a COVID season. I don't know. You know, everything's about money and that's what it comes down to. So they're going to add games when they can add games. But uh, I mean, again, even to Evan's point, like we got to keep these guys healthy as well. Every week that you add is also uh, adding more pressure on these guys' bodies. Yeah. yeah but i also just think too I, I think they're looking at it where the preseason is just such a waste of everybody's time like the fact that they were doing a month of preseason was just insane um the four preseason games because ultimately what has been the narrative is that the first what six weeks of the season is basically the nfl's preseason because that's when they're actually figuring stuff out and working out the kinks and teams aren't really who they are until um that six seven game stretch because um they don't treat the preseason with any sort of respect and don't play any of the guys that actually are going to be shaking the rest off um in week one week two so if you want to eliminate that to expand the number of games and i understand there will be more bye weeks but um i like if they're not going to take preseason seriously then i don't really understand the point of uh keeping still three like there's just i don't i don't understand the point does that does that make sense evan I mean, it's okay. I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I agree. I think the 49ers at specifically had a lot of issues uh, last year just in general of, like, not really having their players that they needed to play because of, like, COVID and stuff, like, get their reps in, and you just saw how rusty they were. I mean, even – uh, the NFL uh, Super Bowl season for the the 49ers, right? They had a lot of their main players not start the the preseason, and you know, as we know, that team kind of had a little bit of a slow offensive rollout, even though they won because of their defense. So, I, I would, as a, you know, I would agree. Um, but we just have to find a balance. We got to find the you know, a way for the team teams to have their players like ready to go and like physically in a good, tr you know, training regimen to get them ready without having a bunch of injuries. That's fair. That's fair. Stephanie, what do you think? Now I'm trying to like, unmute. my dog is going crazy, but I agree. <laughs> I, uh, there, there still has to be a plan for these guys. It's more wear and tear. Uh, so, uh, everyone loves the word injury prone and you add another week and I promise you we're going to hear a lot of it. Can we like ask, can we ask what the dog thinks? Cause I personally, I, I would love to know the opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> talk about it. Like, 
I thought it was muted. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. It's appreciated. Um, Evan, as of Friday, the Washington football team and the Indianapolis Colts had the two lowest COVID-19 vaccination rates among the 32 teams in the league per the AP. Um, what do you make of this? And what do you make of some teams still being way below the 85% that the NFL is angling for and being below the 50%. Um, and is it any surprise that it's either of those two teams for you? You know, uh, DC surprises me, although they're 55% fully vaccinated themselves. Um, Indianapolis, you know, I will say this. It does surprise me because you would obviously want, you think like, oh, the Texas, you know, and all these like, you know, maybe South States or Florida, whatever, right, would have that. So they were kind of random. But what I what I know is that Washington football team will always find a way to just be one of the shittiest teams in the <laughs> NFL. And they like to do it in different fashions, right? They're, they're resourceful. They're unique, right? Sometimes it's their owner being a piece of shit. Sometimes it's the, the organization having issues treating like women terribly. Sometimes it's just treating the players terribly like Trent Williams. So I just like to know that they keep redefining themselves and finding new ways to suck. It's really like, you know, it's a, it's a feel good story. Ross, what do you think? They like deserve an award for that. It's like you almost get there. You have like almost a perfect roster, and then how can we just absolutely mess that up? Like how? Let's find a way to make sure that we can't keep that perfect roster and make something out of it. <laughs> I am curious, though, Ross. Like, what do you think, though? When you you obviously, I think one of the most exciting things for me throughout this whole COVID, trying to figure out how we vaccinate people, right? Like, uh, Deion Sanders today said. You don't want to win if you're not willing to get vaccinated. That just shows me you don't want to win enough to help your team. Like, do you think that verbiage and that approach has a better chance of, of getting people vaccinated in the NFL? No, I, I really don't. I, I think that it has to come down to the why as opposed to the what. And I don't think that winning is a strong enough why. I mean, I think that oftentimes when we talk about uh, vaccination misinformation, it's usually connected in such a way to a need of education, right? And in terms of vaccination education, make sure everybody understands like why this is important. You're not just doing it for yourself, you're doing it for others, so on and so forth, all these other things. And so I think that when you try to like challenge somebody to the point where you're insulting them, then they're immediately just going to say no and shut down. There's nothing else to hear here. And I think that when you challenge them the way that Deion Sanders did, it's not really conducive or constructive in terms of the conversation that has to be had around it. And it's not really a conversation, according to Albert Breer over at Monday Morning Quarterback, that like players are willing to have with other players. It's become kind of a taboo topic to bring up, just like as he referenced, like money, religion, and things like that. And so I think that for the most part, when it comes down to this, it has to come down to the organization's who are willing to say, this is why this is important, and then make that information available. The vaccination rate across the NFL skyrocketed once the NFL made clear the provisions around, here's the difference between if you are vaccinated, and if you are not vaccinated, and what your season is going to be like. And the NFL has consistently touted over the course of these last couple of months that any teams that are above the 85% vaccination threshold, that things will become sort of substantially easier for those teams, but haven't really been able to come out yet because they're still talking about it 
and say exactly how. I would imagine that once they come out there and say these are the benefits to being a team that has an 85% vaccination population, then you'll see more of those players come out. If they can understand why they should be doing this, then I think it becomes a little bit easier and the education becomes a part of the process as opposed to someone challenging them publicly and essentially insulting them like that, right? That doesn't usually work in anything, and it's certainly not going to work when somebody is questioning sort of their medical health in such a way. I just think it's odd, Ross. Like, it's something that I just, I wonder, and you can only extrapolate from, like, how your own mind thinks. You can't get into the mind of what an NFL Mm -hmm. player is thinking. But from my perspective, I would just be like, it's going to make my life easier. Like I, I only have so right. much time in this league and we already know the shelf life of so many NFL players anyway. Like the fact that mm-hmm. we know that teams are open, like every reporting you talk about Breer, like it's not just Breer who's reported on this where it's like teams, if they're faced with a fringe guy versus in the, the two guys that they're thinking about from the practice squad or whatever, or even just like making the last little bits of cuts. If it's between a vaccinated versus unvaccinated player, they're going to go with the vaccinated player. It's just, it from my perspective, I'm just like, that's just odd as a competitor where you're like, man, this could really hurt me and hurt my career. Or this could give a team even more leverage to just move on from me, even if I'm playing really well. And it won't even be like my on the field production. It will just be like their concern over whether or not I'll be available. And that that's a, that's a real thing. So I just, I wonder from that perspective where I would be, just, from my mindset, I would just be like, yeah, even if I was a little like curious or whatever i would just be like no i'm not gonna jeopardize this earning time in my life like this rare short blip in my life i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna jeopardize that that's that's how i look but it's you can't you can't do that or you can't put that mindset into everybody else i just i would be so curious to figure this out i so i agree with you both i do i really think that that's i think there's two different sides of looking at it everything Ross said is very true from like an intellectual standpoint, right? Like there's some people that are going to think about things intellectually where they want to know why, and they want to, they want to see it rather than just have someone say, you got to go do this. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we are talking about the most competitive human beings on earth. These are quite literally people that not only because of their physical talent, uh, but they're like mental fortitude of I have to be the best so that I can win because all that matters is I win a championship. And I don't know that a lot of people will be manipulated or changed or whatever word word did you want to use. But I do think that what Deion Sanders said will get some of the people that don't know the education point of it, that don't know the science be- point behind it. But they were just maybe like, I don't really fuck with taking a vaccine that I don't know anything about. It sounds sketchy. I don't know if I really care. And then you have all of your teammates who have been vaccinated. They're like, hey, fuck off, guy. Like, I don't want to deal with all these COVID pro- pro- you know, protocols. I want to win this season. We don't need distractions. Can you fuck off and figure it out and go get vaccinated? And I think that that can move the needle for the people that really don't know any better and haven't done the research themselves. Yeah, I think that there's probably some truth in that. The only thing is that, I mean, some of that has to come from organizational leadership as well to instill sort of like exactly what Chase was talking about, that like, you know, your inability to be available could cost you a roster spot and not being vaccinated could cost you availability. So put two and two together here. 
And that has to come from the organizational leadership. The topic here that we're discussing too happens to be with the Washington football team who doesn't have, who has never had very good organizational leadership. So what are those players being told by their organizations versus what are some of the players being told in other organizations that were quickly over the 85% threshold, like teams like the New Orleans Saints and the Miami Dolphins? Because that's kind of where I would be really interested here is like everything that we're talking about here, I completely agree with, but everything that we're talking about isn't going to be consistent about how the message of the importance of vaccination is being delivered to NFL players by their organizations. And I have absolutely no doubt that the conversation that we're having is starkly different than the conversation that they're having internally over in the Washington football team facility. This is wild to me because I remember Ron Rivera, like sat like there was a story on PFT, like a few weeks back of Ron Rivera bringing in outside side. Like that's when, when people are like, I just, I don't know enough. And then they bring in somebody to explain it to them. And they're like, eh, still no. And it's like, well, you, your, your argument <laughs> is that you didn't know enough and that you wanted to talk to an expert and they just brought in experts and you're like, mm, still no. So that's why I'm just like, you're just hitting, I don't know. I, I grow more cynical by the day on this front um because i just i don't think yeah. it's i think it's bad faith on a lot of accounts where it's like i just i don't know enough i i, I want to know more and then they give you an opportunity to learn more and you're like mm, no thanks I, I still not not the right kind of information it's just like what Ugh. i don't know it's just uh it's just yeah. frustrating um Tough. not frustrating though ted ginn jr highlight place very much enjoyed that during my time like he is he was the same for a sneaky long amount of time, Ross. What uh, for you? What was your favorite Ted Ginn moment in New Orleans? Well, well, there's a really good one. He made this really phenomenal catch during an NFC Championship game that took place, I think, in 2018. There was something else that happened after that that I'm not really sure that I remember anymore, and that we need to talk about. It's not important, but he made a catch that looked like it was about to send the New Orleans Saints to the Super Bowl at that point. And then some other stuff happened with whistles not being blown and all these other things. But that was probably like the peak moment for him. And then I would also, I always think about the Teddy Bridgewater touchdown throw from him to Ted Ginn Jr. against the classic Tampa two, I guess Tampa Buccaneers, a deep post route. And all of a sudden you see Teddy Bridgewater going deep, which you don't see very often. That was a fantastic touchdown as well. Teddy Bridgewater celebrating before Ted Ginn Jr. even caught the pass. And if you know anything about Ted Ginn Jr., you know that he's not a short-handed receiver for the most part. And so that was a little bit risky, but those are a couple of the big ones that stood out for me. But I mean, what an incredible 14 year career for a guy who was considered a bust after his first three seasons in Miami. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And like, that's the one thing that I love about Ted Ginn. Obviously, you know, he played on the 49ers as well. 82 yard punt mm -hmm. return touch, you know, was like one of the most exciting plays I've ever seen as a 49ers fan. Um, but that was the thing, right? Like he didn't have hands, couldn't catch, just couldn't catch. But then you got him up with Colin Kaepernick. You got him with, uh, you know, Cam Newton, right? Obviously Drew Brees, like he just, he wasn't the perfect receiver. He didn't have every tool, but like he knew how to make exciting plays and he gave his all. And like, there aren't, there aren't a lot of receivers like Ted Ginn. Like we've had receivers in the past that were so damn fast and they, they had that one speed and that one move, but like they never really could figure it out. And I just feel like Ted Ginn was just like constantly coming back every day. Like I got to find a way to continue to get better and to continue to find, uh, you know, you know, have my own place in the NFL. And I mean, like exactly what you said was considered a literal bust. Mm-hmm.
and had an incredible, exciting career. Yeah. I, I will never forget the, the, the Chad Henney play, like the orange dolphins uniforms and his big time catch there. That's like, I remember that Monday night football game. Like it was yesterday. Like I, for whatever reason, that game stick, like it will always stick out more. And the fact that like he was the number one receiver, like you mentioned Evan with cam at one point, like that dude just, he he stuck around and he, he kept, he, he figured it out and he did enough. And, um, he was never a true number one or anything like that, but a 14 year career for a guy like him, I think is pretty, pretty amazing. And I think, um, he, he has nothing to hang his head about, um, when it comes to his career. Um, guys, this is not on my list, but I wanted to mention this. I forgot to put this in the headlines. Um, I want to kind of be angry about this, but I'm going to leave it to Stephanie because is Stephanie still here at the moment or did she dip out for a second before I asked this question? To Stephanie? I think she said, I can't stand this place. I'm never coming back and ran away crying. But other than that, uh, wait, can I guess that you're going to bring up that Saquon Barkley said that he's day to day? Cause if that's what it is, then yes, I'm leaving. No, 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 no. The giants aren't on my radar enough to, to bring that up until they move on from Daniel Jones. I am I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay on that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually talking about a quarterback who is actually good and probably going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Eli Manning <laughs> and Peyton Manning to headline all time. Oh okay, can I, like, I want to ask this to you, Stephanie. As someone who knows Eli Manning, you know his press conferences, you know how he is. Um, do you think this is a good idea? And also, giving people more choices. This is just, a, like, I've never been more certain of something bombing than this alternate broadcast and like trying to get people the people who like listening to peyton and eli the people like my uncles are not going to figure out how to do this different part like a different broadcast and they're like wait it's on espn2 and it's a mega cast what what is what even is that like they love peyton i go to ut like this is they they love Peyton. i have a cousin who's named after peyton manning they have they're not going to know how to do this it's not going to happen It'll be fine. The thing is, they don't have to listen to fucking Lewis Riddick anymore. Oh like, that is so- <laughs> like, Wait, can, like, can you tell us how you really feel about that? Like, could you really dive in there? How fantastic is this? I will absolutely. I For years, and this is like partly why uh, I probably struggled with certain things, is like I used to just watch football with music on because I cannot even bear to listen Kaya apparently agrees in the background here, but like having these two commentating is so awesome. That is happiness. I'm so excited. I'm against all of this. Just put them on the Monday Night Football broadcast. What are we doing? Just put them on the normal one. We don't need Steve Levy and Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick. It's like petty though. It's like we're gonna I'm gonna go listen to the Manning brothers on another channel. <laughs> but that's just lame. You're just screwing them over. They're like, Well, well I, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand. So here, here's what I will say. To your point that people won't be able to figure out the technology. The games have been streaming on Amazon now at this point multiple times. It's obviously a very not normal way of watching a football game. People figured it out. I don't think it's going to be that hard to figure out. That said, when you think about the Manning humor, which honestly, like the football player, Eli Manning, I mean, I'm, no, I'm just saying like, so like the football player, Eli Manning, obviously hate that man with a passion. He stole the (laughs) Super Bowl from us, that bastard. Um, 
I, I like I, I like I can't feel that pain. I'm not allowed to feel that pain. You have two super. I don't even know what that's like. I haven't seen a Super Bowl in my lifetime. I'm 33 years old. And my team has five. I get to have that pain. But my point is, is I, I think the Eli Manning, Peyton Manning humor is one of the best humor. Some of the funniest people in the NFL the last 20 years. They're sport this is sports center where they're getting a tour around campus and they're just like in the back like slapping each other on the head and like peyton's like turn and kick into the butt at the last second like this is a humor that like really uh caters to a younger generation not like you know young like in the 20s but like definitely like our young right like you know you uh chase and i who are both washed um right like i think that is the that is part of that <laughs> yeah, I think I might be too, actually. <laughs> hey, hey, it's okay. I'm fully, fully washed. I hurt my knee today, and I, I don't even know how. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think that Manning generation, like these people, are going to be able to figure out how to watch it, and that's who they're catering towards. Just move on from Brian Greasy. What? Just give, let them alternate, like on Mondays with Lewis Riddick and Steve Livy. Like, just do that. Stop altering Lewis Riddick. He's horrible. He yeah. just shouldn't. I, no, I, yeah, like I don't Lewis want to. I, 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 I like Lewis. I don't know why. Uh, I, you have a strong disdain. Here. He's fine. I like Lewis Riddick. He's good. Nice. Um, yeah. Last headline before we move on. Um, Evan, this is. I'm just going to clear the runway for you here because I saw this and I immediately thought of you. Russell Wilson said that his relationship with Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll is, quote, stronger than ever and when i say my eyes rolled to the back of my head like i this is why this dude i i can like i respect him so much as a quarterback top three quarterback great one of the all-time grapes i'm so glad i've been able to watch him as much as i have the worst personality on planet earth and i cannot stand it and i cannot stand this just ob- like objective lying like for no reason like it's stronger than ever then why did you ask out it's stronger than ever and that's why you want to go play for matt Nagy in chicago spare <laughs> me with this nonsense Listen, like i li- this drives me up the wall first off you can't spend a decade with russell wilson saying the corniest shit in the world and constantly being the i'm gonna have the mr like i'm a professional quarterback line every single time and then get confused when he does the same fucking thing again. At the end of the day, Russell Wilson does not have the capacity to say anything other than what he thinks the, the, the starting quarterback should say, right? Like, I mean, like he's Jimmy Garoppolo when it comes to press conferences without any of the charm, he just says it like a fucking psychopath robot, (laughs) but that's fine. That's fine because he's one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen in the last three decades. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But to your point, Russell Wilson is basically doing the same thing that uh, NFL coaches say when they're like, blah, blah, blah is our quarterback blah 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 is going to be our quarterback for the foreseeable you know like this is our quarterback right and then he gets traded a week later like russell wilson doesn't give a shit about pete carroll he hates pete carroll i'm sure they hate each other i'm sure like like we pete know carroll that pete carroll takes- was scouting quarterbacks we know that he was looking at options if russell wilson like with after paying russell wilson we know that he was scouting we know that they've been looking how, at quarterbacks how, how many times do you think pete carroll has burned a picture of Russell Wilson with jet fuel. How many times? 
multiple times. Yeah, like literally flies probably little airplanes into photos of Russell Wilson. And that's just, but that's, but Russell Wilson is supposed to say that. My relationship with Pete Carroll is stronger, stronger than ever. Whatever. It just drives me nuts. Like it's just they're going to be a bad football team next year. I'm well, I don't think they're going to be bad. But like Ross, what what do you think? Are we overreacting to this quote, or do you think that's yeah, this is something? They're going to be bad. Stephanie, what was that? Did you think that they were going to be bad? Is that what that was? I just don't think. That, I think that everyone uh, expecting you know even like the Cardinals to be worse than them is ridiculous to me, and I think that the Seahawks are definitely not going to be as good as everyone is expecting. A tradition unlike any other. People expecting the Seahawks to finally crumble. Um, Ross, <laughs> what do you think? Just, just like expecting them to be good, though, also. They're always good. They're just yeah. not great. They just, they're always good. Exactly. They're in purgatory. They're in purgatory. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I think there's a difference. And sorry, Ross, for like, I, I would love to just shut the fuck up. But I do have to say this because it's no, the Seahawks. <laughs> the, they are always good in relation to how you like you expect a 10 win football team to be good sure russell wilson is literally one of the best quarterbacks ever they shouldn't just be good so i think both can be true yes they're good or yes they'll have a 9 or 10 win they season just went next 12 year. and 4 they went 11 and 5 a year ago he's had one season in the they NFL. went one they did. season since 2012 he has been in the league since 2012 he has had one season where he didn't win 10 games at least and that was a nine and seven year. That was it. He wins ten hey, games every hey, year. Can, Why can do you tell do me this? something? Can you tell me something? Do you think it's a? Do you think it's it's good enough for Aaron Rodgers to have only one Super Bowl? The playoffs is just that's a, a yeah. That is a, that is not a, that's not a sigh and then talk. That's a yes <laughs> or no question. Uh, once again, it's not a. Uh, do you think one Super Bowl is enough for Aaron Rodgers? No, I would say no. Do you so? Do you think it's enough for Russell Wilson? No, but it's hard, so the, man. It's so one you, team wins every year. There are thirty-two teams. One team wins. Like and also my final point: how many games they won last year is not impressive to me. When the 49ers entire team got injured, like not impressive. They don't even win the NFC West last year. If they, if they yeah, not impressive. No, Anyways, I'm just locking lost. in the the Seahawks. They're winning the division until they're not. Like I'm just I'm locking in the Seahawks. Like until Russell Wilson is not under center. Like I'm not betting against Russell Wilson in his division. I I just I, I don't refuse. know why you hate me so much. I just don't know what I did to you, <laughs> Ross. What do you think of all of this? Before Evan hangs up, uh, I think this is fantastic. I'm having a blast. Um, no, I mean, look, I I think that Russell Wilson is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Therefore he is going to quarterback speak, just like we talk about coaches and their coach speak. This isn't really out of the ordinary for me. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think of it as being much more than it actually is, which is just, it, it's literally just Russell Wilson doing what he feels like he has to do in order to continue to pacify this situation and make it look like it never happened because effectively he's not going anywhere until after this season. And after the season, there's a legitimate conversation about him being traded. So he kind of needs to make the best out of wherever it is that he is. So if part of that is going to be that me and the, you know, this head coach that is still playing football, like it's the eight, you know, the 1980s, then that's what he's going to have to do. And that's totally fine. And so for me, it's just essentially what I would expect essentially when it comes down to the situation around Russell Wilson, not anything to me that is like, too much fake, you know, too fake or not, you know, not doing the right thing or anything like that. It's just a par for the course in terms of quarterback in his situation. 
By the way, can you just say the part where you said there's a good chance that Russell Wilson might not be on, on, on the Seahawks next year again? Because, like, that just does yeah. so much you ready? for me. I have one more time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Here we go. Yeah. You might not get traded this offseason, but it really does seem like next year there's a legitimate conversation. He could be traded next offseason. Oh, thank God. I feel good. I feel good. I, yeah, just see, I'm just so tired of being hurt by that little man. <laughs> I think I think Ross is just saying all this because he is angling for the Saints to get involved after this year on Russell. And by the way, how perfect would it be? How perfect would it be for them to go from one tiny mobile assassin murderer of a quarterback to another? Listen, I I I would uh, be very very happy. I'm out on all of this. I don't against it. Fundamentally against it. Don't want it. I just want to say it out loud for Chase to make sure he can hear it. I'm good on Drew Brees to Russell Wilson in New Orleans. I'm good on that experiment. I, I, don't, want, I, I don't want that. No, thank you. That's right. Then we'll talk about uh, from Drew Brees to Aaron Rodgers then. We can have that. I mean, to be honest with you, though, like, listen, the, the Falcons are literally a season away from a full rebuild. So, like, if ever there was a time, the time. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, yep. if Russell Wilson is going to the Saints, it might as well be at a time when you're not going to be able to compete anyways. Well, that's not the plan. Terry Fontenot's plan is not that at all. Like he's he said, quote, rebuild is not in our vocabulary. Like that is right. not what they're doing right. at all. Kind of like, right. like that time that Russell Wilson <laughs> said that he and Pete Carroll have uh, never been better. Okay. Wow, what a callback. Oh. What a callback. What a callback. <laughs> that was impressive. That was really perfect. Hey, Stephanie, are you alive? <laughs> Or did that dog, like, did that dog attack you and murder no, you? I am taking this all in right now. There's so many comments I can make. I have not. I, I at this point have nothing to say on this comment on this entire topic. Holy <laughs> crap! <laughs> so we all agree the Falcons are fine. Um, so <laughs> not fine. They don't have a defense. What? No, we're fine. AJ Terrell. The next Jalen Ramsey, mm. you got the best two linebackers situation. <laughs> so when people get Alcon hurt, what happens? Deion Jones, you got the way, Jared inside, you got the Jetson brothers bouncing depth, back. I love how last year, I love how last year it was AJ Terrell. Hey, Deron Harmon, Eric Harris, bounce back years. Let's go. Can you do me a favor? New Orleans Saint, Eric Harris. We're New Orleans Saint legend. Um were any of those names real, Chase? Were you just making up names? I, like, I, I couldn't really, like, I can't be sure. No, they're all real and they're fantastic. Um, football outsiders, year in social media. Stephanie, which of these quotes of these moments in the NFL the last year stood out to you the most? Which did you think was the best? Um, what? Which quote? <laughs> the football outsiders. So they do this week in quotes and they compiled all of their best ones for the last year. And there were some that I'd forgotten about. I remember seeing it in the moment, but like there was so many different things and you see it and you're just like, huh? Okay. I, it, it was just amazing to see all this different stuff. But, um, what the, Joe judge was summing up the Giants' season on there. And mm, he, mm-hmm. he drew a giants fan. Uh, like there was a, it, it just incredible, like a sad face. I, I love that because, watching daniel jones and trying to bet on a healthy saquon barkley is so sad and like their receiver room is so sad generally speaking and their situation with andrew thomas is so sad and the new york giants in general are so sad um that's the kind of stuff that you could you could pinpoint in this uh in this topic stephanie 
we're really going to do the Giants thing. Like we're really, now we, now it's the time that we're really like, now we're really going to do this here. Now you want to talk about the Giants, but I want to talk about the Giants. Not talk about the Giants. Well, I mean, I think what we could do, I think what we could definitely do is talk. About, well, so here's the thing. Joe Judge drawing a little uh, Giants fan while using the telephone. I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about, to be honest. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Last year, he he did the Joe Judge report. So I think it's like the Giants like broadcast like all the teams. Oh yeah, and he did. He accidentally drew a sad face while uh showing tape of a Giants Cowboys game. So he. I mean, it was sad. Mm -hmm. The team was sad. Like there was nothing good. The fact that the Giants won six games last season is actually very impressive. Oh god. Um, they did not deserve to win six games by any means. Um, so the fact that they got there is like yeah, phenomenal. I thought we went four games last season. So, uh, I would also do a frown face <laughs> if I were trying to look at a roster with Kim Fleming. <laughs> <the team. laughs> I also think the history awaits. I'd forgotten that one that when Brady, like Tom Brady also being elite at social media <clears throat> oh, that was stinks. Such a good one. Like it stinks that he's mm-hmm. as good as he is at social media. Like the, the quote, <laughs> the history awaits of him and Drew Brees just being old. Um, Ross, what, what? was there one that stood out for you? Well, that one was definitely one of them. I thought that was absolutely hysterical. I also being somebody that has a, um, a, a theater background and being somebody that has, uh, spent time learning uh the hamilton uh tour uh really loved the christian wilkins one um to where he was on the sideline during practice singing um singing songs from hamilton the musical and asking people did you see it on disney plus which is a hysterical thing to see from (laughs) a uh, massively uh grown human uh really enjoyed that and in a similar vein uh you know, I'm not a huge fan of Kirk Cousins as a football player and as a quarterback, but mm. hey, you know, in an acapella group, maybe he's got something there because that was really outstanding. Evan, what about you? So, okay. So, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, not not a tangent, but like the, the Brady thing, right? We talk about his social media uh, prowess. Can we please, I'm begging you, please. The guy that has like 600 fucking... Uh, what is this plastic surgery, the uh, op, you know, whatever, like the guy that has done all that work to his face. Like, this is not the guy that's on Twitter making funny jokes. Like he pays someone for that. And like that, that's it, Yes. It's hilarious, but none of it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady is an incredible, incredible quarterback. He's obviously the most impressive football player ever, but like that guy's not good at social media. And, and while we're here, <laughs> I would like, I would like to just say what I think is a bit of a conspiracy theory. I don't think he actually tore his MCL. I mean, he might. No, no, hold on. Wait, let me know. I, th- I think he probably he tore it. He absolutely did. No, 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 no. Let me finish. No, he, he tore his MCL, but he, I don't think he did it at the time that he's saying it. I think he wants in his social media team, which is the best in the NFL, Wants you to be think that oh you played forty three year old Tom Brady didn't tear his MCL and play throughout all those games didn't happen. Oh wow, I did not. It could have happened at the end of the end of the Super Bowl maybe like in the second third quarter fourth quarter something like that. But there's no way forty three year old Tom Brady no matter how many stem cells he has was doing that's not like (laughs) no no one questions that no one questions that everyone just goes oh yeah Tom Brady of course sure why not. 
Yeah, it's the same reason why him and Patrick Mahomes are like left out of every injury report, like fucking ever. Um, but like they didn't have surgery, right? But we're gonna leave them out on every site ever. Uh, they obviously had significant injuries. I don't know why they keep being left out of stuff. Yeah, it's not even in existence. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying he didn't tear his MCL. I'd just like to that let that be known. But the idea like that they put out there that he did it so like oh he played so much on this torn MCL. Nah, fuck that. Tom Brady's a liar. <laughs> oh my god. There we go. I, I was it. not I did not know we were getting conspiratorial Evan tonight. Um <laughs> what a great Howard. word, by the way. <laughs> Xavier Howard is apparently on the trade block. In Miami, Stephon Gilmore, obviously still <laughs> negotiating with New England. That's been rocky. Um, but in terms of Howard suitors, Ross, who do you think makes a lot of sense? Do you think a lot of the teams that were maybe going to be in on Richard Sherman with everything that's happening there, are they going to turn the, to Howard? Are they are teams going to wait on what happens with Gilmore because he is the better player? Um, what What kind of package makes sense to you for Howard, and who do you think makes the most sense? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're spot on in terms of the teams that would be interested. Any of those teams that were sort of you know visiting with Richard Sherman, who by the way we hope is okay and is yeah. getting the help that he needs. Um, but with the situation around Savian Howard and the situation around his contract, which is a, a very nuanced conversation that just brings to the forefront that APY and total in total money don't matter when it comes to contracts that guaranteed money does. He's out of guaranteed money after the season, next three years entirely unguaranteed. So he's looking for a new contract. So you have to look for a team that's going to be willing to also spend money while also making this trade. So the Indianapolis Colts who were in on, um, who were in on Richard Sherman and have been connected to Richard Sherman. They make a lot of sense. I wouldn't be surprised to see even the Tennessee Titans have a little bit of interest. They don't have a lot of money though, but they might, they have a little bit now with the, um, the Ryan Tannehill restructure. So if they build the contract correctly and back loaded a little bit, then they would be able to do it. They ended up losing, um, or not the Tennessee Titans, excuse me, the Minnesota Vikings who ended up, we're not sure what's going to happen with, um, with Jeff Gladney and all in his future with that team, they signed Brashad Breland and they have Patrick Peterson. But if you want more of a sure thing and make Brashad Breland, your third option, that absolutely makes sense. The new Orleans saints should be an option. They are in big time need of a cornerback to opposite uh, Marshawn Lattimore. And the offer that makes a lot of sense from any of these teams. I know that Miami says that they want a first round pick, but teams with players that are trying to force their way out. Should it come to that? rarely get what they're asking for because they don't really have much leverage in the situation thanks to the player's request. So I would say that probably a second round pick, maybe even a group of selections and maybe some type of a sweetener on top of that, maybe a, you know, another corner or a a younger veteran that would come through. I wouldn't be surprised to see more suitors in favor of pursuing Xavier Howard if he becomes available over Stefan Gilmore, just based on the age at 28 years old and being able to potentially find somebody to not only plug in for this year, but also plug in for future years, if that's the route that a team wants to go. Yeah. I mean, what I just don't understand, Xavier Howard's one of the most exciting cornerbacks that we've seen in the last, you know, little while, right? Like we've had a really Mm -hmm. good run of like number one, number two corners, going back all the way to Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson, all that. 
why are they already trying? I mean, like they're building a decent roster. They've got, you know, all of these picks that they've been able to use. They're keeping to you. Like, obviously if you're going to have to you learning who kind of struggled last year, you want your defense to play well. Like, I just don't understand. You get this cornerback. He's very exciting. One of the most technically sound, like, you know, Chad Johnson was just talking about how smart he is. How he's always in the perfect position, never out of, out of position. Why, why are you even entertaining that? Like, enjoy yeah, yourself having just a renegotiated corner. Deal. Yeah. Like literally just renegotiated. They'll give him more guaranteed money, restructure, whatever it takes to keep him in Miami. It doesn't make any sense at all. It just seems like such a Dolphins move. It's like you finally get it's something moronic. good. What was that? Go come again? It's moronic. It's just moronic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. the teams that I think need him the most, I just don't think are going to dip their toes into it. Like the Seahawks may have the best cornerback situation in the NFL, but I don't see after they made the Jamal Adams splash, like I don't think they're going to do another just gigantic trade, giving up multiple assets for Howard. And then you look around the league, the Saints, as you said, Ross, make a lot of sense. But I also just think the Cowboys make a lot of sense, too. The Cowboys, I think, make it like seem like the team that would give up some high capital there. Um, and then maybe the dark horse for me um, a little bit is the Bears, where I think the Bears is just so much is riding on the season. We know Cleo Mack is arguably the still best uh, edge rusher in football. They lost some some secondary help this offseason, but I think um, if they were to go after somebody like Howard, that would that would be a dark horse sleeper to me that I think would be interesting because mm-hmm. there's just so much riding on what they do. And we know, I mean, you know, as a Ryan Pace guy back in New Orleans, that they he's aggressive. Ugh. And if he is he very thinks, aggressive. Exactly. And they have nothing to lose. Ryan Pace has nothing to lose this year. So Howard being on the block right. would uh, not surprise me if he's making a call um, to Miami. Yeah. Um, are you guys ready to get into our NFC South preview? Yeah. Okay. We're going to start with the saints, Ross. So the saints, um, they are ushering in a new era of Jameis Winston doing weird things to prepare for the season on social media. Um, today he was throwing around a towel. I seem to recall Uh, much like Patrick Mahomes was. Yes. Yes. As Stephanie pointed out, I believe on Twitter as well, that uh, they both do Mm -hmm. weird stuff. Uh, And (laughs) he just does weird. I think, I think it just looks weird with Jameis. Jameis. I think it's his face. I think everything involved, like there's just something about it. He does like his eyes. (laughs) Yes. Like he gets really focused. (laughs) There's something. I was just going to say, like, it's the, literally the stepbrothers, right? There's something about your face. I don't know what it is. I'm going to punch you right in your suckle. Um, the first thing I want to ask you, Ross, the drop-off from what you saw from Drew Brees last year to Winston, a full season of Winston with some Taysom Hill scattered in there, I'm sure. Um, if we are an outsider w- – would it be wise for us to bet the drop off from Breeze to Winston will still be huge? Or do you think there is room for optimism that Peyton and Carmichael are going to get a lot more out of Winston, especially downfield than we're expecting this year? Um, yeah, but you know, uh, so even with the downfield conversation, I pump the brakes a little bit because this is still a Pete Carmichael, Sean Payton offense. 
And so I think that there's going to be a lot more, and I think it might take people by surprise, whether it is Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill that wins that starting quarterback role, that there's still going to be a lot of conservatism in this offense. This offense will continue to lean in on its run game, which has been one of the best over the last couple of seasons or has continued to get better over the last couple of seasons. We did it that way. Uh, and they've always used the short passing game as an extension of the run game. But then I think you'll see them take more shots downfield. You certainly saw them try to do that with Taysom Hill a few times. Either they would bring him in to throw some deep passes that ended up putting, having way too much air under them or during the four games that he played. And, you know, he had that one that absolutely looked like a punt to Emmanuel Sanders in the Falcons game. I think it was the second Falcons game. Um, I, I think that with all of that, you'll still see those downfield shots. And I do think you're going to notice there's going to be a big time noticeable difference when it comes to the drop-off from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston and or Taysom Hill because of the fact that when it comes to Drew Brees, you had somebody that had full command of the defense, oh, excuse me, full command of the offense, somebody that knew exactly where every player was going to be, when they were going to be there. The routine was the same. Everything was the same. And all of that is going to be very different this year. The spot throws, the you know perfectly placed passes, ball placement, anticipation, putting a play, putting a ball where only a receiver could catch it, all of that stuff. All of that has to be now relearned and reworked with a new quarterback learning a brand new system. So, yeah, I do think there's going to be a big time drop off in terms of the style of play. But I don't know that the style of play itself and the approach of the offense changes too much away from what is a usual Sean Payton offense. So what I what I'm really curious about, and because I've I, I know that like Michael Thomas has gotten so much shit lately. Uh, I don't know if it's deserved or not. I think he's a pretty impressive receiver, especially was in his rookie year. Um, do you think the the dynamic between him and the quarterback being so different now with someone that can throw more than seven yards? Like, are we going to see a refresh and revitalize Michael Thomas, or do you think we'll keep using him in that like short passing game that he's so like dynamic uh, at? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, you're not going to take him away from where he performs best, which is still pretty close to the line of scrimmage, inside breaking routes, outside breaking routes as well, something that puts them around the, um, that puts him up against the line of scrimmage. I think you'll, excuse me, the, the boundary. I think you'll still see all of that. But, you know, you reference his rookie year with the New Orleans Saints, and there was a lot more downfield uh, movement in, in that season with Drew Brees, who was still able to get the ball downfield quite a bit. So I think you'll see all of that come back. I don't think you're going to see 149 catches again, but I do think that you can still see over 100 catches from this receiver, and you'll finally see him maybe get into the double-digit touchdown uh, count because he still hasn't done that in his career yet. And, you know, still see the yardage come up a little bit in terms of yards per attempt, uh, air yards per attempt. All of those things should improve regardless of who's at the quarterback there. I mean, Jameis Winston, before the 2019 season, targeted outside receivers 43.1% of the time, which was second most since the 2009 season, even though he had only been in the NFL for five years at that point, or four years at that point, actually. And then Taysom Hill, over the four games that he played with Michael Thomas, 37 targets over the course of those four games, including a game where Taysom Hill passed for like 78 yards because they were going up against an opposing Denver Broncos team that was using a practice squad wide receiver as an emergency quarterback, which is right. a game that just should have never happened in the first place. And so I think that you'll still see the you know wealth of targets, plus who else are they going to throw to outside of Alvin Kamara, honestly, on that offense. So I think you'll still see him get those targets and you'll still see them rely on him in the short and intermediate area. But I do think you'll see them push downfield a little bit more with him as well. It's awesome. I, uh, I wonder, too, because they're in this weird spot. We talk about the Falcons, but they're not in as weird of a spot to me as the Saints. Um, I do think they're, like, if you were looking at, I don't know if the betting odds in front of me, 
Um, but I do think there is a a narrative that is easily formable in New Orleans for Sean Payton coach of the year. Like with Drew Brees retiring, if Brady slips a little bit and the the repeat year goes a little bit uh, unsmoothly in Tampa, like if they win that division, the the path to coach of the year for Sean Payton, if he wins it with Jameis and Taysom Hill, is easy, right? Like I think it mm-hmm. is interesting for Sean Payton. This is a big year for him. We saw it. This is it. Kind of reminds me of obviously uh, New uh, New England last year with Belichick, and it didn't go that way. But I also think like part of that was just Cam's health and just the at, like they were in a different situation. I think there's a lot more talent around New Orleans, and I think they're just they're built better. The offensive line is still strong. You just locked up Ramzik. You have a lot of pieces still on defense, and this is still one of the better defenses in football under Dennis Allen. But like I do think there is an interesting path to Sean Payton having one of those like revitalized years that people were expecting from Belichick, where like he gets to recreate something. Like this is the kind of stuff that uh rejuvenates a lot of these coaches who kind of get uh bored or get burnt out from the same old same old and now he's like i'm tasked with making this former number one overall pick a great starter again like that is something that i imagine yeah. sean payton is getting up for right yeah absolutely and I, I think that it's something that i mean he i'm not gonna say that he's looking forward to because you know obviously he's gonna want drew Brees, and you know like that's you're not going to really look forward to like a big change like this. And, you know, if given the opportunity, I'm sure he would coach Drew Brees for another four seasons if they know that they could do it and be, and be competitors. But for Sean Payton, this is, you know, an opportunity for him to take the small sample size that we've gotten from being eight and one over the last two years without his hall of fame quarterback and Drew Brees five and oh, with Teddy Bridgewater four and excuse me, three and one with uh, Taysom Hill and be able to really take that and ex- and extrapolate it over the course of an entire season to where he has an off season to game plan. He has, you know, he's not dealing with an emergency quarterback situation and he can build an offense around either one of those quarterbacks. And in either case, whether he's revitalizing Jameis Winston or if he's turning Taysom Hill, who everybody thinks as including myself, by the way, like I still look at Jameis Winston as being the most likely you know, quarterback out of the two, because I still think that Taysom Hill is mostly a Swiss army knife offensive weapon. And then that's where he's best. And, you know, and some people look at him as just a special team or a quote unquote gadget player. If he can turn that narrative into a starting quarterback of a playoff team, then that really does speak highly for Sean Payton. And if you look at the records of teams that are trying to follow up the replacement of a uh, or the follow-up season for a Hall of Fame quarterback returning, the only instance of a team getting better after a quarterback ends up retiring the year after in terms of more wins was when Dan Marino retired uh, from the Miami Dolphins. And that's really it. Even when Aaron Rodgers came in and took over for the Green Bay Packers, it was, you know, uh, what was it, a 6-10 and 10 season, if I remember correctly? that year and so i think that you know you're going against history when it comes to teams that are losing hall of fame quarterbacks and you're also going up against recent history when it comes to who these two quarterbacks are in terms of the options that you have to move forward with at least the 2021 season interesting um last thing we'll wrap up on the saints um the defense for people who are confused as to how the new orleans saints have become so defense oriented and like keeping things afloat when Drew Brees starts to slip. Ross, how would you how would you explain Dennis Allen's success in recent years, uh, just turning this defense around? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is their success in the draft, and you can you, know, you can look over to the offensive side for that too, of course. But I mean, you know, outside of Demario Davis, this entire defense was drafted by this team or was you know uh, part of the undrafted free agent class. And so I think that it's a big part of them getting the players that fit Dennis Allen's system and getting the players that fit in inside of the facility in terms of the guys that fit into the locker room. So I think that there's that portion of it. And then there's also the good blend of youth and, uh, and veteran leadership. At all three levels, you had that last season, and you have that coming into this season as well. Malcolm Jenkins coming back and rejoining the team last year in the secondary. He'll be back this year. Demario Davis, who really helped to turn this defense around. They went from 17th ranked defense to 14th to 11th to 4th during the time that uh, over the three years that Demario Davis has been a New Orleans Saint thus, thus far. And he's been a huge part of that, as has Malcolm Jenkins in that 2020 season. And then on the defensive line, Cam Jordan, who is a homegrown guy as part of that 2011 draft class. And so you have all of these players at each of the three levels that can be veteran leaders amongst all of these young and very talented players like that 2017 draft class that brought in uh, Marshawn Lattimore and then brought in, of course, uh, Marcus Williams, who unfortunately they couldn't get a long-term deal done with before the franchise tag deadline. And now they're going to rely on more youth and Peyton Turner and Pete Warner and Paulson Adebo potentially at the cornerback spot. So it's been a good blend of making sure that they're getting their guys, the guys that fit the mold for what um, um, Dennis Allen likes to do, which is play a lot of man defense. They played 47% man defense last year, first in the NFL there. They play a lot of zone match too, to where they're blending zone and man concepts based upon routes that are being run. So they really leaned in highly on football IQ, really leaned highly on confidence and have really leaned in highly on guys that they know are going to fit that system that Dennis Allen wants to create, who has really, really created something uh, kind of special when it comes to this New Orleans Saints defense, which has helped to carry an injured quarterback and an end of career quarterback over the last couple of seasons. Interesting. Um, Stephanie, as we wrap up the Saints, your fantasy person, or it could be their, the New Orleans Saints defense as a whole, what, uh, what intrigues you about the Saints fantasy-wise this season? Nothing. Nothing, <laughs> 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 uh, quite literally. Uh, the Saints are fine. I don't trust Sean Payton and his obsession with quarterbacks. And I don't know what's going to go on over there. So I'm not, you know, a Kamara I would never be taking as Lee as I've been. I have taken him uh, during this off season, but I don't know what's going on over there. Who's going uh, first little- for the Saints usually? Who's the first Saint off the board in fantasy drafts right now? Yeah, he is. But I'm, I would rather take someone else over him because mm. I need more out of the Saints. I need more uh, structure out of that system there. Well, I mean, isn't it safe to say that Jameis Winston just makes every single offensive player for fantasy football just not a safe play this year? Like, I'm not saying that, like... Does Taysom? It's not going to be Taysom Hill. I don't care what anybody says. I know, but do either of them make anyone comfortable? That's what I'm saying. Like, how do you pick a Saints player? I mean, like, Michael Thomas, maybe just because he's obviously such a safety net. But, like, I don't know that I can – like, I'm not taking them because I want to. I'm taking them because I'm settling. Mm -hmm. I think NASCAR legend Alvin Kamara is pretty pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. I just – but I would rather take – like, I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor before I'm taking Kamara. Hmm. Interesting. 
Oh, well, that's, that's easy though. Happen. Absolutely. But are we sure the Colts are gonna be good? Yes. Like, are we sure that he's gonna yeah, be? Yeah, I would. To... I would heavily. I would heavily advise against that. <laughs> Wait, taking Jonathan Taylor in that offensive yes. line over he's Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara. Yeah, because I'm gonna. The Saints I mean, have a great offensive line. The entire league, though. Like, what? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to lean into players out of the backfield more like Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, the Alvin Kamara, the guys that can also uh, be a part of the passing game. It and that's sort of the reason three. why I think of – I'm sorry? <laughs> they didn't even touch the top three rushing yards last season. Derek oh, yeah, no, I just – I don't – That's why off. I'm saying – yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, I, I guess I play in a lot of, like, PPR leagues, and so I would go with the guy that's going to catch a lot of passes. You got eighty. You got eighty plus. No, I mean I. No, I mean obviously people. I get that, but like my point is this: if it was Drew Brees, sure. But with the quarterback situation in this in New England, like that passing game isn't guaranteed, and you're not taking Camara with like a third round pick. If you do take him, you have to take him high, just because that's Mm -hmm. the running back position in fantasy. Jonathan Taylor's a workhorse. He's going to get his money. But no, I don't like, think he's going to be a workhorse in Indy. They have a lot of backs. Indy is actually quietly deep. And then in New Orleans, I mean, it's Latavius Murray and then Ty Montgomery might get some snaps. Dwayne Washington. Like, it's not like they, we know that Peyton's going to run and throw to Kamara a bunch. Like, they're going to target Kamara a bunch. I'm not yeah, sure I mean, that the Colts are not going to use a rotation as much as they will. And well, also course, the, the, I believe this the Saints are going to be up more. Like the way I look at running backs too, is that like running backs biggest values is when your team is good and you need him to sit on leads. Like that is like, if you the team's not going to be good, then you shouldn't take their running back because do you like, think, do you happens, think the Colts aren't going to be good? What happens when the Colts are bad though? You know what ends up happening when one can't pass more. the ball? Guess who gets it? So, <laughs> who gets the ball? I, I mean, they're Who's going to Ty Hilton. They're going to Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell. Yeah, because Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz doesn't throw close to or behind the line of scrimmage. That's my concern. And that's why I don't trust Carson Wentz and why I ended up staying away from like Which Jonathan Taylor. Because the only way, the only way that Jonathan Taylor gets production is as a runner. Now, Stephanie obviously is way smarter than I am when it comes oh, to yeah, fantasy no, football. I'm not. Like, just, like so no doubt about that. <laughs> No, and so I just look at like Alvin Kamara's usage. Like Alvin Kamara is going to be the Saints' offense for the most part yes. in 2021. You know what I mean? Because, and and I think that like if you if you avoided Mike Evans and you avoided Chris Godwin with Jameis Winston at quarterback, then yes, you should avoid Michael Thomas at with with Jameis's quarter at, at the quarterback position. But if you invested in Chris Godwin and invested in Mike Evans because you know, Jameis Winston's interceptions don't count against those wide receivers, but the receiving yards and the touchdowns do, and the receptions do, then I think you do lean in a little bit more towards Michael Thomas. But I think Michael Thomas dropped out of the top 50 this year in terms of ADP. Hmm. Yeah. Or out of the top 30. Out of the top well, 30. yeah, he had a pretty, pretty... Michael Thomas, once again, I've, I've always been a pretty big fan of Michael Thomas, so I won't say whether or not it's fair or not, but he got, the, he got his ass kicked from a like a uh, you know, a reputational standpoint this last year. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I think, no, I don't know if anyone took a bigger hit with like how people discussed him. Like before they were like, oh, he's a great wide receiver, one of the best. And last year they're like, I mean, he was getting just flamed entirely because, oh, you can only catch the ball. You know, he's averaging 1.7 yards per whatever. And I don't 
He, he he's took a big still hit. getting taken. I think he's like I think he's getting t- he's like wide receiver. I don't know before Palatine. Like I think he's still getting taken within the top thirty though. He's not like going. He's not falling so far out. Right. Yeah. He might be good. Is, he, is his ADP and is his ADP in terms of like overall player outside of the top thirty? Because I know he took a big I'm like, no, somewhere. I'm no receiver. No receiver. Oh, gotcha. But also this last year was <laughs> this this last year was a really you know was a, a renaissance for young receivers so it's he's just getting his you know it's yeah. just a matter of that and you also have him coming off of a high ankle sprain and a deltoid injury like those are things that particularly the high ankle sprain like that can linger way longer in terms of your ability to be explosive make cuts like that's a big concern for him coming back in 2021 too. I mean, it is the injury conversation around him and whether or not he's actually going to have the longevity to get you a full fantasy season. And I think that's valid. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things at the end of the day, when you look at like a traditional workhorse running back, there's like Jonathan Taylor is that, but he does have Naheem Hines. Right. And also Marlon Mack too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like you, Alvin Kamara has to make his money catching the ball out of the backfield. And yeah, it's a good, I mean, if, if Sean Payton can do a Sean Payton thing and re, you know, re- revitalize James Winston, Kamara should have a great season. Yeah. And here's what I, the one, the one last thing that I'll mention, I know, I know Chase probably wants to move on from the Saints as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, but, but no, cause eventually he'll have to talk about the Falcons. So well, hold on. The Falcons <laughs> 11 and six, no uh, book it. but when it, when it comes down to Alvin Kamara's usage, particularly in a passing game, Whichever quarterback wins that starting quarterback position, or, or yeah, wins that starting quarterback competition, whether it be Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, a thousand percent the largest part of the evaluation process is going to be that quarterback's ability to be able to continue to utilize Alvin Kamara in the passing game. 81 receptions over the course of his first three seasons, 83 over the course of 2020, the first NFL player in NFL history with 500 receiving and rushing yards over the course of his first four seasons that will continue and he'll continue to push that number and continue to push all of that. Uh, but like whoever it is that wins the quarterback position is not going to be the one that is of detriment to Sean Payton's most reliable weapon. Totally. It all doesn't matter. Cause Ian book is going to start. Anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ian book 2022, baby. Uh, Ian book 2022. Has a lot of Ian book college tape. <laughs> you, you, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Notre Dame is a real playoff <laughs> like championship contender. If they have a different quarterback under center, um, Whoa. the Falcons. A team that sure? I'm quite familiar with. Um, they're going through a weird team. Sure? Julio was traded. Um, I, I put it on my list. I was like, I think people are overstating how critical the loss of Julio Jones will be. And this is someone who looks at Julio as the, like I was, I ran the tracks of Knoxville today in an air Julio Falcon shirt. Like that's, that's what I was rocking. That leave the memories. <laughs> However, this offense, we've seen it still hum without Julio and Calvin Ridley is ready to be a wide receiver one. Uh, I think Kyle Pitts is going to be an immediate Swiss Army knife and immediately productive. I think they've invested a bunch in the offensive line. I think Mike Davis is going to get a bunch of carries. Um, I like Javion Hawkins a lot, and I think he'll do stuff um, at a Louisville. And I think Dean Pease just 
he he knows defense. Like Dean Pease is going to get more out of this group than I think a lot of people expect. And AJ Terrell flashed a lot. And learning to become a good corner in today's NFL is just hard. It takes time. It's kind of like being a point guard in basketball. Where like mm-hmm. Jeff Okuda was atrocious. Like he was the number three pick. He oh. was the safest guy, and he was getting torched week after week. Like he got destroyed last year in Detroit. Like it's just hard for these corners. Um, but. I do think they invested. And I think Richie Grant might might turn some heads early. Like that dude's going to be good out of UCF. And then you have Deion Jones and Foye Ilicon who are who are great. And you have Grady Jarrett who's still inside. And like if Dante Fowler bounces back, like I'm not gonna. I think the pass rush situation is pretty dire. But like they're the the fact that PFF has them as like a safe team to not be terrible, but also not be elite. I think is fair because I think it would just be really hard for the bottom to fall out like it did last year to go four and twelve because it's just not a four and 12 team. Like it, even with or without Julio, they're just not, they're not that. And I think Julio misses a lot of games. Anyway, he misses a lot of snaps. This Falcons offense has dealt with a lot of Julio injuries in recent years. Like they are prepared for life after Julio um, better than a lot of teams would be losing their all time best receiver. But I do think there's still a limit as to what they can be in 2021. But I do think they're going to be, uh, I think they'll be better than a four and twelve team, and I think they'll be closer to a seven and ten, eight, eight and nine well, type thing. <laughs> so I was going to. Co- so I will say though, I need to comment on this. I think that the Falcons. I agree. The, Julio leaving does not change anything about this team. To be completely honest, like it, it, I wouldn't go that far. A- it changes some stuff. <laughs> it changes it, some stuff because you have Pitts now, though. So this mm-hmm. is this is a different picture. So Ridley is able to be the wide receiver one, and Russell Gage is one of the most overlooked players, like mm. literally. Um, every time, mm-hmm. anytime that Julio is not in the field, that's when Russell Gage does well. So you have Russell Gage be able to be the wide receiver two. You have Kyle Pitts come in. The target's going to be spread fine, and you're going to have the offense that you've had. So I don't know that this team, they're definitely going to do better than they did last year. It comes down to the defense. That's what their success is going to come down to. Their offense, I'm not worried about. There's so much depth on that offensive chart. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts out there. And Hurst, it's probably done after this year based on his contract stuff. But, like, I think it's just going to be – they're going to have a lot of options. They're going to throw some dudes out. And I think – I mean, who could write off Taji Sharp uh, reuniting with – Taji Sharp. (laughs) Wow. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I wanted wanted Taji Sharp's so bad on the new Orleans Saints that he was a free agent last, like the off season before last such a good slot season that he had. I, I, I hope he can resurrect and, and have another good year. I just hope it's not at Atlanta. Mm. Well, I'm concerned about the left guard <laughs> spot that, that really concerns me. Like Willie Wright right now is penciled in and like Matt Hennessy at center um, with the departed Alex Mack. Like you drafted Drew Dahlman, you drafted Jalen. Thanks Rachel. for that, by the way. Oh yeah. Okay. Irrelevant. <laughs> Appreciate um, that. I, I'm concerned about that, but Jake Matthews is as solid as it, as it gets. And I also just, I'm so curious to see how much they're able to get out of Mike Davis. Like I watched Mike Davis carve up this Falcons defense on Thursday night football last year. Mm-hmm. He was, he was good. Like Mike Davis is just someone that like, you don't invest in. I don't know if you've seen his thighs, but the man has the biggest thighs in the NFL. Like that dude is an absolute, just muscle. Like he is a muscle. Like 49ers legend. Yes. 49ers legend. Mike Davis, that dude, this sub, like every picture you're like those aren't real like every picture of mike davis looks photoshopped so i don't know how teams are going to tackle but 
based on the track record of Arthur Smith coaching physical freaks at running back, uh, the I, I think we can only expect uh, Derek Henry Jace down there in Atlanta. That's 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 all I can come to. I just gotta say, it is bold fucking move of you to try and compare Mike Davis, who's on his fourth NFL team in like mm-hmm. the last six years, as the greatest running back in the NFL currently. Well, Derek hold on, Henry. hold on. Did they not both go to SEC schools? People forget Mike Davis, South Carolina. Chase, you went to an SEC school. Do you want to get in there? (laughs) Well, hold on. The fact that that (laughs) I am not built like a running back. Now I I, I'm maybe close. Neither is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is built like Derrick Henry is bigger than his tight end. Mm. Yeah, Derrick Henry is not built like a running back either. (laughs) No. But at the, so, but my point. Okay, so what I will say is this: we have talked about the Atlanta Falcons naturally, as they are your favorite football teams mm-hmm. a lot. And I think most of the time, we kind of you know have said things in a negative light, as they're on the tail end of you know really not being able to compete as the way they used to. Obviously, losing Julio is going to be weird. I don't know if it really makes a difference. You think it does? I, I don't really know that I do. I have to go with Steph on that. The team wasn't really doing a whole lot last year at the hands of Julio in terms of like difference making in the game. You know, he had some great plays. He's Julio Jones, but like I don't know that he was really like winning or losing games. Um, I I think maybe Kyle Pitts, if he le- you know lives up to the hype, which holy shit, that's some of the most hyped uh, pre-draft uh, tight end maybe ever. I don't know, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think the Falcons are going to really skate by this year with a very average season. I don't think they're going to have a four win season. They're certainly not winning 10 games. There's no chance in hell. Um, and that's fine. That's what happens when you're reloading matrix reloading. I don't know (laughs) what he fought, not said, but yeah, it's fine. They'll be fine. It's fine. He's getting the cap right this year. I will say. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that should be the big focus. And so far they've done a good job with that. Right. Like if they could also do something with Grady Jarrett's um, yeah. uh, salary, I think that would help them even further, whether it's a restructure, which Terry Fontenot has learned a lot about restructuring coming from yep. the world uh, or if they do anything, you know, whatever it might be in order to do that, or if they just carry that and then rid themselves of it next year, that's another good option for them. But we will say that like, as somebody that, that covers the, the team that has to game plan for the Atlanta Falcons twice a year, Last year, uh, the New Orleans Saints didn't, they game planned a bit more for Calvin Ridley than they game planned for Julio Jones. I mean, and that was in a game where they didn't have uh, Marshawn Lattimore available. And so I, I think that I agree that I think, I think the way Stephanie said it, I agree with a little bit more in that, like, it's a bit of a lateral move for them because they draft Kyle Pitts and then they go ahead and they trade away Julio Jones. The biggest question is going to be, is Kyle Pitts somehow going to be different than just about every other tight end in the history of the National Football League? And is his impact going to be immediate in his rookie season? Mm -hmm. And I think in order for his impact to be immediate, then they have to keep him away from places where he's learning new blocking schemes and learning, you know, everything that comes with the hardest, one of the hardest positions to transition to in the NFL from the collegiate level being a tight end position outside of maybe interior offensive line. And so I think that if they utilize him more as a split end than they utilize him as a formal, like 
why in line, why kind of guy, mm-hmm. then I think that there's a good chance and they end up having essentially a lateral move on the offensive side. And maybe lateral isn't the right word here, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, that it's not a huge detriment to them. It's not like they're all of a sudden never going to be able to produce on offense again because they don't have Julio Jones. And then just the better that Kyle Pitts gets over time, then the better that that team gets and the more equipped they are for more Matt Ryan or post Matt Ryan, which I think is something that you're going to see with Terry Fontenot, who spent time with end of career Drew Brees in the pro personnel department, bringing in free agents and building a team around an aging quarterback that could operate in place of that aging quarterback, but also be operated by that aging quarterback. Something he did extremely well in new Orleans uh, from the pro personnel side. And I think he has the experience to do it very well in Atlanta as well. I think this is a good move. I'm telling you it's going to, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a great move because then you bring in someone, you're going to bring in a younger quarterback whenever they decide that that's going to be the move that they want to make. And then you're able to build this team up. You know, you also bring on a guy like Frank Darby, right? Uh, There's so Mm -hmm. much depth to this depth chart. I, I, I'm okay with the Atlanta Falcons moving on. Julio, you had someone had to make uh, money. Someone had to find money, and that's the way that they were going to do it because there was no way they were even going to be able to afford the rookies. Like they had to get rid of Julio. It was just gonna, it had to happen. Also, whenever we have these conversations, it's just like people just for overlook. He asked for a trade. Like Julio wanted out. Like this is something that was also just he was close with Dan Quinn. Like he was uh, like he was ready to move on. Like Julio did not want to be in Atlanta Falcons right. anymore. Like that is something that's overlooked. Yeah, like, it was and that the, had been going yeah. on for a while. Correct. Yeah. So like that part, it, it sucked, but it was, that's an overlooked concept to to this and what Terry mm-hmm. Fauna had to do. Um, Stephanie, as we wrap up the Falcons, your favorite fantasy football nugget with Atlanta is what? Are you a Mike Davis believer early in the first round? Do you think he gets a lot of run with Arthur Smith's offense? Is it Russell Gage? Who is it for you? Uh, I mean, it's probably Calvin Ridley. I think a lot of people really do uh, look over Calvin Ridley and what he's been able to do fantasy-wise like uh, entirely. I, I think last year, like, God, I'm gonna I think he finished wide receiver five, I want to say. Like, he finished very high. Um, so Kevin Ridley is always good in fantasy. I love Russell Gage as like a late round uh, snag there, but as long as you're not reaching too high for Kyle Pitts, this team is great. I mean, offensively, this is you know uh, other than the Eagles and the Cowboys. I'm trying to think of other teams, but they, they just have a crappy defense, but offensively, fantastic, great for fantasy. Uh, Matt Ryan is probably one of the most consistent quarterbacks that you're ever going to get in fantasy. Like you straight up know what you're going to get with Matt Ryan. And I love that. Um, so you, you can expect the same kind of thing that he's giving you uh, year after year because uh, he has to be the most consistent dude ever. So I like, I like all the guys here. I don't love the running backs. I don't know that I'm going to get involved in that scenario, but that's up forever enough to deal with. <laughs> Interesting. Um, the Panthers. Evan, the Carolina Panthers brought in Sam Darnold, a guy that your team was rumored to be exploring trading for this offseason. <coughs> somebody that would make sense for Kyle Shanahan and what he was looking for. Um, when you look at this Panthers team, you're two for Matt Rule. Um, with Joe Brady running things and running that offense, locking up some offensive line pieces, Christian McCaffrey, maybe a 17-game season for him, but we'll have to see. Um, what do you make of the Darnold move, and are the Panthers perhaps better equipped 
um, to bounce back and maybe not even bounce back, but just uh, maybe break through more than we might expect going into the year. Yeah. You know, so first and foremost, JC Horn is really one of the most exciting players in the draft last year. I'm very excited to watch him play. I think that he could immediately become one of the more exciting players in the NFL. Um, Christian McCaffrey, he is Christian McCaffrey. He's going to do Christian McCaffrey things. I think DJ Moore is one of the most underrated receivers in the entire NFL. It's insane how good DJ Moore has been. And he never really gets talked about in that top top tier. Um, other than that, you know, there's 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 just a lot of things that you can like on that. Uh, Moten, Moten is a tackle, right? Like, I don't, I don't care about David Moore coming over from the Seahawks. Uh, I'm more curious to see. I mean, it really all falls on Darnold, right? Like Darnold had the curse of Adam Gase uh, the same way that Ryan Tannehill did. And we saw what Ryan Tannehill was able to do with Arthur Smith. Um, so, you know, I, I am curious to see what happens here uh, with Sam Darnold. Can he have that same type of resurgence? He's definitely got the, wef- the weapons to do so. But, you know, if for any reason whatsoever, he's unable to do that. I mean, how soon until they start calling for Will Greer? So, you know, it, it, it depends on, on how things end up. Um, you know, does anyone else think that these offensive weapons could be exciting? I definitely do. I mean, I think that the idea, like what you mentioned with DJ Moore, it, it, this guy's been incredible for the past, like, I mean, his entire time in the NFL since he came in from Maryland, a thousand yard seasons every year, despite all of the changes at quarterback and everything that he's done so far. I mean, he's been one of my favorite fantasy targets in redraft leagues all the time because I've been able to go back to him. And then you look at, you know, the reun- the, the reuniting of um, uh, Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson. So you get him in a new environment, but you still give him a familiar weapon. I think that's great. And you give him a, um, you know, a running back in Christian McCaffrey, who's looking to have a big bounce back season. I think that the weapons over on the offensive side are really, really intriguing. I completely agree with you that it's really just about the ability of Sam Darnold to be able to essentially resurrect his career. Is he going to be able to do it with a young kind of, you know, wonder kid like, uh, like Joe Brady? Is he going to be able to do it with these weapons around him? And if he can't, can the weapons carry him? which I think is a, a big part of what that sort of experiment has to be around them. Um, yeah. So I do think that the offensive weapons are going to be pretty good around them. I'm on the other side of the ball. Like, you know, I, yeah, once again, as a 49ers fan, God, if I had a dollar for every time I said that on this podcast, uh, I've always been, I've always enjoyed NFL teams that have really exciting or really talented players at all different, the different positions on in the defense. So, you know, we already talked about JC Horn, one of, you know, I'm, could potentially be one of the best cornerbacks immediately, but they also brought in AJ Bowie or Bowie, um, which mm-hmm. who knows to what extent he has left, but you know, Hassan Riddick was a, a really like kind of low key, good signing. We all know Derek Brown's one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. Jeremy Chin last year is, you know, yeah. maybe people forgot Jeremy Chin was one of the best linebackers in the NFL. So you start to look at this team and you see if like, if they can get something out of AJ Bowie, if they can get uh, Horn to be the the cornerback that people are almost guaranteeing him to be, they could have a really sneaky good defense that has really talented players at all different phases of the ball. 
Yeah, I mean, Burns is as consistent as it gets. I think Reddick has been quietly, like, he was a bust early on in Arizona, and he has become yeah. one of the better edge guys, uh, and he'll be playing the Sam and uh, in Carolina, but him, Shaq Thompson, Perryman, like, I like that. And then, you, I mean, they've invested a lot uh, across the board, and I think Horn is going to be fascinating because I, it seemed like the the reaction to that pick um, by people a lot smarter than me in the NFL was it might have been a reach, and I'm curious to see if, this is something where the Panthers front office was just ahead of the curve on. And this was a, a bigger swing that they just saw and other teams did not. Um, also just their offensive line is fascinating because they've invested a lot there. Um, they drafted Brady Christensen in the third round. They have Greg little from a couple years ago, um, backing up cam Irving. Who's going to anchor that left side. You have Pat elf line on the left side. You have Matt Paradis center like it's interesting because i i don't know i think taylor monton is as consistent as it comes and they just paid him at right tackle i i wonder what that means for darnold because we haven't seen darnold be behind a, a an offensive line like this before so i'm curious to see what his stats are behind this offensive line and what his like i'm gonna monitor week to week what his passer rating is from a clean pocket like i'm so curious to see what happens there because i think he's actually going to have an opportunity um with this group to really, really do the kind of dink and dunk stuff that Joe Brady did with Joe Burrow to an elite level um, two years ago at LSU. I mean, Steph, you tell me, cause I know that you're the only, you're one of the, the better people here to talk shit with me. Um, if Sam Darnold has a good year this year, can Adam Gase ever leave his house ever again? He already shouldn't leave his house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam Darnold's gonna be fine. Uh, like, there's no reason. Every single year, there's a quarterback that we all get so excited about, uh, and then they get into a shitty system, and then we decide they're horrible. I think that Sam Darnold is finally getting the uh, chance to prove uh, who he is and show it off his skills. I mean, this team, there's no reason for Sam Darnold not to succeed. Uh, and he should do above average, but the Jets are a very broken system. So this is like being resurrected, honestly. Like, there's no reason he can't do well. And I still believe in Darnell. I think Darnell will do well in this system. And if he doesn't, he's done. I mean, we have a ton of uh, quarterbacks this entire year that all of them, I mean, if they don't perform, they're going to be a QB2s, and that's it. Yeah. It is interesting. The luster, it's it's almost completely off Darnold. Like there is, I can, there is so much pressure on him in Carolina, um, or teams are just going to see him as a backup from here on out. So I, I'm very fascinated to see. It feels like there's less pressure though, you know, like because he actually has options here. Like whereas he was in such a shit storm before. Yeah. Uh, real quick, so uh, a, a coach who's been an offensive coordinator for the 49ers under Steve Mariucci. Uh, obviously, you know, Greg Knapp was uh, a passing game coordinator for the was passing game coordinator for the Falcons. Was the offensive coordinator? Uh, he was QB coach. QB coach. Okay. So uh, just being reported literally right now uh, from pro football talk that he has been hospitalized and is in critical condition oh, uh, no. from a bicycle, bicycle accident. Yikes. Lots of lots of coaching from a lot of our different uh, football teams. So definitely hope that yeah. not Greg Knapp is, is okay. Thoughts with Greg yeah. Knapp, man. That's that sucks. Um, 
the last team we're gonna talk about quickly because I the Bucks are the, like the least interesting team to me, guys. Like I don't know if you guys feel the same way, <laughs> but they're just not interesting. Like they're just deep everywhere, and I look at it, and I'm like, if Brady's like he was last year, and he's just still a deep deep ball assassin then it's just like yeah they should be the favorites like it's that simple they locked up their core guys they drafted really well they have depth everywhere their pass rush is legit like i i just look up and down they nailed the tristan Wirfs pick i'm like I, I don't know why you can talk yourself out of the bucks as the favorite in the nfc south like where where is their weakness stephanie um their weakness? <laughs> uh they don't have one I the Bucks are fine. Like I think even Vegas should stop disagreeing with this because I think the Bucks are in a great position to do great this year. I like don't even know where the conversation would be for them. They're bringing back. A, you know how hard it is to bring back an entire roster. Like come on, that's crazy. I mean, it's nearly impossible to do that. And, and then run it back another year. But if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Brady. And his team has, with Arians there, uh, you know, even the way that they drafted, they're just they're building a team for the long run as well. It's not just not just this year, not just until Brady retires. I I, lo- I love the Bucks. It sucks. I hate them, but I love them. Now that Brady is like off the Patriots, I can actually love them. It's so bad. Can it ever end? Can it ever end? Like, yeah, because he's chasing perfection because the Giants took that from him. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to be in the league. He wants perfection. So he's trying to get that perfect record. If he got perfect I, record, he would retire. I just want Eli Manning to come back to the NFL for one season. <laughs> yeah. And just, to, just so we could finally end this Tom Brady nightmare. It will never end. <laughs> never I will end. say the one Tom Brady pot, like, I am glad that he won the Belichick war. Like I'm, I, I love that he won the bet on himself. Like that is something that I am always going to be happy about that. He won the divorce. Like sure. him, I, that, all, that just, that, that warms my heart that he won, won the divorce. Um, I will say Ross, like when you look at this defense, like I'm just going to list some names. This is the starters. Nadam Kinsu, Vita Vea, William Golson, Jason Pierre, Paul, they drafted a first round edge rusher and Joe Tyron. Uh, to try and and then you have Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield Jr., Jordan Whitehead, and Jamal Dean. Like, there's not one bad player in this rotation. Like, yeah, I, they traded up to get Jalen Darden. Like, this team is like paying attention to the future. Like, this is very much a well-structured team. I, this team will run it back. Like, I'm serious. The Chiefs are not going back to the Super Bowl this year. I mean that they're not going back. If any, either of them is going back, it's the Bucks. I'm I'm here for the Chief slander. In fact, I I think we need more of it, <laughs> as much as humanly possible. Can't stand the It's just I think I yeah, think the ahead, only Russ. place, the only spot on their defense where they could get a little bit better, a little bit better, and it's not by much, but they could get marginally better, is that cornerback two spot opposite Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean's. They're a, a good young corner, but if he can get a little bit better, then I think that that helps them. He has to take another step forward. He's extremely aggressive, which makes him pretty viable in the run game, which you really like from outside corners, particularly in Tampa two coverage where you have those guys playing like, you know, out in the flats and playing hook zones and things like that. But you also have a situation to where he bites on double moves quite a bit, um, gets a little bit off kilter when it comes to, uh, play action gets very aggressive there. And both of these safeties are still very much run support 
type guys. So if they can take a little bit more of a step forward in coverage, then I think that that's maybe where this defense gets even better. If they do that in 2021, then Tom Brady very well may get that perfect record that he's been chasing because then all of a sudden, if they stay healthy and that secondary takes its individual steps forward, then this defense becomes extremely hard to do anything against. And I think Joe Tryon coming out of Washington is going to be somebody that's going to immediately um, contribute in the defensive line rotation that Tampa Bay loves to loves to go for. Um, these linebackers and their ability to drop back in the coverage, having to take those deep middle zones that they that they take or those that's not really deep, but I guess like those robber type depth zones that they that would usually be for a safety, all those things that they have to do. I, I think they're remarkably equipped there. But those are spaces where they can see improvement. And if they get that improvement, honestly, even if they don't get that improvement, they're still the favorite to win the NFC South. Like there's no doubt about that at all. I think their odds are like minus one seventy five. And then after that, when it comes to division, it's the Saints at like plus three twenty something. So it's there's a huge gap in terms of who's favored, who's not favored. But those would be a couple of spots where they can see some improvement. And if they can get that, I think that puts them in a really, really, really good place going into uh, the season. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're good, yo. Like, they're they're remarkably good. And, you know, Stephanie gave a lot of credit to them maintaining their 11 starters on both sides of the ball. That's tough to do any season, even tougher to do in a Super Bowl season, as she mentioned. And they also kept their entire... Uh, coaching staff. I'm glad you mentioned this because this is something I also was going to, I'm glad you mentioned this because keeping Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich is huge for them. Like the fact that they, they were able to retain Todd Bowles and what he did with this defense last year, like him not getting a head coaching job, which I don't understand, especially when you see who ended up getting jobs like uh, Herbert Meyer. Um, I think that's huge for them. Like that is such a huge win for them. That continuity, like you see it in new Orleans with you, right? Like you get to keep, Dennis Allen year after year. Like the fact that you have had Dennis Allen coaching this defense and the continuity there is huge to Sean Payton's success too. Yeah, it was a big part of the the four straight years of, of playoff run from 2017 to 2020. It was the player retention and it was the coaching staff retention. And some of that comes from like some teams, some coaches just have a hard time creating a coaching tree or getting recognition for a coaching tree. Bruce Arians has been one of those guys for a long time now. Sean Payton's coaching tree just started to maybe like take a little bit of root this season with guys like Joe Lombardi heading over to be offensive coordinators, Dan Campbell saying crazy stuff up in Detroit. Like everybody's <laughs> kind of moving on oh, yeah. and kind of like doing all that stuff. But you'll start to see that from Bruce Arians here eventually too, but it didn't happen at the most important part, which is this potentially immediate repeat to the Super Bowl one. Yeah. Well, um, as we let's wrap up here. Your one through four prediction will go around and that'll, that'll be it for tonight. Ross, one through four, your predictions for this division. How do you see it going? And how many teams get in the playoffs from this division? Yeah, I'm going to say that uh, one team gets in the playoffs in this division. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to say that the New Orleans Saints do finish second, but not far away from the Atlanta Falcons, who will finish a close third. And then the Carolina Panthers, still in the midst of figuring things out. They gave their head coach seven years on purpose. It's going to take a little bit more time to get all this done, uh, but I will give them the last place within the division. Evan, what about you? Obviously we're going to go bucks. Number one. Um, I ought to, I'm gotta say, man, I think any combination of these, these three uh, after the bucks mm-hmm. is very plausible. And you could explain to me about how Sam Darnold could have some, 
post Adam Gase resurgence and that team really just lights it up. You can explain to me how Jameis Winston finally figures it out with his eye surgery and Sean Payton. Uh, you can explain to me with the Falcons being just mediocre enough to edge out to other teams who didn't work out very well. Uh, but if I have to have to pick, I think I'll go, uh, I'll go Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. How dare you? Um, Stephanie, what is, what is your one through four for the NFC South? I will be somewhat different here. So I think the Bucks are an easy – and they're going to take this. Uh, you don't bring back an entire roster like this with a uh, you know division that has a lot of question marks around it. I think that the Panthers are going to surprise people here, so I will take them at second. And I – We'll go Saints and then Atlanta, unfortunately. But Atlanta, the, the thing with Atlanta, too, they just got to fix their fucking defense. Like, you fix that. <laughs> what year is this? A- I, I've, heard, I've heard this story before. It's a tradition like, unlike any other. Defense. What do you got? Huh. How many times? We've tried. Yes. Vic Beasley, Dante Fowler, <laughs> Tack McKinley. We've tried. It's such a good, like, just fix it. You had, like, there's so many ways to go about it. I don't know why no one wants to address it. Figure it out. We have addressed it. We do. We use high draft capital. Fix it. (laughs) Address it correctly. Well, the one thing I will say is AJ Terrell, you you had no faith in at the beginning of last season. And he turned out okay. Well, no, no, no. That was not, that's revisionist history. That's not what I was saying. I was saying that rookie corners don't help teams that, like, the whole coaching staff's jobs are on the line of making the playoffs. So, it thomas dimitrov made a choice for terry font not administration like that's what i never understood is that like so much was writing on that year and it we knew that that might be it for julio jones anyway and like this whole coaching staff the front office like they needed to bounce back and to take a corner in the first round when you're trying to maximize your your last window here like cd lamb just being there you just you roll the dice and you see having the number two offensive dvoa like what that what that gets you like i i that was my rationale so it was against AJ Terrell per se it was just uh the the idea that you were drafting a guy you knew was going to be bad in 2020 when all of y'all's jobs were on the line in 2020 I didn't understand that agreed <laughs> so for me as we wrap up here so I have the Bucks clearly they're just in their own tier I think I'm going to say the Falcons finished two number two I think the Bucks, because I think there are the the Saints are actually going to try this Taysom Hill stuff a little too much. I think they're going to get too cute. I really do, and I think they're going to finish third at like seven and ten. I think the Falcons go eight and nine, and then I think the Panthers bottom out at four and thirteen. And the Darnold experience is a disaster, and Christian McCaffrey doesn't stay healthy per usual. So I'm going to say that things get really bad before they get better in Carolina, and uh, the Panther or in the Falcons finish a little bit ahead of the saints because that is what nature intended the falcons finishing (laughs) ahead of the Saints. i just i just can't believe how in the same podcast where you're telling us that losing julia jones is a big deal you also can say you think they're going to finish second place in the nfc south but it's not even a great thing like second in term like i think arthur like uh, the bounce back but going from dirk cutter to Arthur Smith is just, I think it's going to be otherworldly. I cannot wait to see this offense with this group in it. Uh, it is, it is a good hire. I do think it's a good hire. Yeah, um, for real. So there you go. Um, Ross, what can we check out from you across lo- the Lockdown Network and all your other Saints coverage? What can we check out from you this week? 
Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot coming up with uh, training camp, of course, right around the corner. So you could check out everything going on with Locked On Saints as well as any of your favorite teams. Uh, just search Locked On and then whatever your favorite team name is. Uh, we cover all NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and college sports. So go ahead and check out your favorite show there. I'm also hosting on Tuesdays over the Locked On NFL podcast, doing national coverage there. And then um, writing over at CanalStreetChronicles.com, the SB Nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. So lots of different places to catch out all of the work, whether you are a Saints fan or otherwise. I appreciate y'all having me on. It's been a, a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Ross. Uh, Evan, 49 Sub, you can find you on Twitter at Evan underscore swords now. No more. Evan, yeah. No, yeah, it doesn't look like I'm getting the uh, OG account back anytime soon. So we had to go with a somewhat professional t- name. Uh, rest in peace to two fa- two mm-hmm. Evan two furious. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you guys can uh, definitely oh, check yeah, out. Tragic. Uh, yeah, sad panda. Uh, but you can check out uh, Ross Jackson stuff over at Locked On. Definitely check out Stephanie Small's uh, stuff with, with uh, Small Talk, and then of course the Chase Thomas podcast. It, 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 that's what I'd like to shout shout out. That, you know? that there it is. There's that loyalty. I, I love Evan. There, there it is. I love when you ain't get angry about people not uh, doing what they need to do. Which is what Evan? What do people need to do when they listen? You go on that. You go on that fucking Apple <laughs> Apple Apple podcast and you give them a five star review. Stop being a little bitch about it. Don't act like you're too busy. You're not too busy. You're laying down in your bed or you're driving in a car. There's no logical reason why you can't just go and do the five star review. Sure. Just to be a nice person. Like you haven't done it. You haven't been a nice person in a month. You're mean to your parents. You're mean to your friends. You're lazy. Just do this one thing that's nice for once. For once. Just one time. Incredible. Outstanding. Incredible. All right. Evan Swords, Stephanie Smalls, Ross Jackson. Thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Stephanie and Evan will be back next week with another guest to preview the NFC West division. Evan is Steph's not going anywhere. No, no matter what, exactly. locking her in. Lock right, I, think in. We're, I think we're locking this in here. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys. I appreciate it. We'll talk to y'all soon. All right. It's good talking to you guys. Thank y'all. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.